0: Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host Connor Leterno, and today I'm joined by Chronicle sports writer Rusty Simmons. During our conversation, we fielded readers' questions about everything from the second unit to Kelly Oubre's future. Rusty, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. How you been, man? I, mean, I feel like it's a it's a weird world we're in right now because we work closely together. You know, we're, we're slacking and texting almost every day but uh you know i don't actually see your face very much anymore um you've been good you're handling uh you you've seen the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the pandemic and some of these restrictions being lifted
1: yeah i think so we're starting to see it a little bit where um a couple of nba arenas are are allowing some fans back in there and um that'll be a welcome sight like you said it feels like right now we all kind of work in this remote zoom world and and unless you catch somebody Asking a question on a Zoom conference call, you don't you don't see your buddies anymore. You don't see your colleagues. We're all slacking and zooming.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, you uh, you've done some interesting. You've done some good pieces uh, recently. It's been so nice. Like I feel like you've always been helpful on the beat, but this season you've just been ramping it up. And I think partly it's because we, we're in this Zoom world. And the, like normally, just so the listener knows, like normally when I'm on the road, I can't really have help because all the press conferences and all that are in person. And so I'm the only person physically there. So I have to do it all, but like, it's actually been so nice because we're in the zoom world. Like you can hop on a zoom and like write something off it and help me out and, and induce, induce sidebars after pretty much every game. I mean, it's been, it's been, in some ways I think our coverage is better sharing this, this Zoom world. We have more hands on deck, which is which is great.
1: Yeah, well, that is that is one thing Zoom has allowed is, um, yeah, to give you some help. Well, uh, the Warriors beat is like an eight-person job, and you've been grinding through that for, for five years now without much help. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's good to good to get to help a little bit that way. And um, I don't know, maybe Zoom will be a little bit a part of, of sports forever now. I'm not sure that locker rooms are going to be open, and it'll be interesting to see uh, how... how professional sports leagues handle this going forward
0: it will be interesting um it'll be really interesting i know i personally haven't felt like our coverage has suffered like i said i think it's maybe even taking a step up i actually i mean i mean you miss the locker room access a little bit but when you balance it out with the fact that you don't have all you're not wasting all that time getting from point a to point b you're not hanging around waiting to talk to guys for hours you're like able to use that time to be productive and you're able to, and there hasn't been an issue getting guys on the phone. I'm not complaining, <laughs> honestly.
1: Yeah, that was that was the one thing that that I worried about was that um, some of that one-on-one, some of those one-on-one conversations would be lost in this. But um, we found ways to get fresh, new one-on-one quotes, and can eat up all the Zoom stuff. So yeah, it's it's working out okay.
0: So we're gonna do a mailbag pod, and I I got a ton of good questions. Rusty, you you have more experience than I do covering bad to mediocre basketball teams, Uh, and I feel like covering a mediocre team, covering a team that's around 500, which the Warriors literally are—they're 20 and 20 at the moment—is in some ways the most interesting because you you have like a lot changing, um, you know, and there's there's a lot of it's kind of a roller coaster. One night they look really good, the next night they look really bad. They're tinkering with rotations um whereas you know a really bad team they're probably going all in on a youth movement and that's kind of the storyline right and then if they're really good they're just really good and the title pursuit is the storyline whereas right now there's like a million storylines uh which i actually enjoy have you enjoyed that
1: yeah, and um, actually it's changed my mind on it. I used to always think, you know, in years of of covering Cal or covering the Warriors, um, I always thought the really good teams or the really bad teams provided the most storylines because um, when they're really good, the players all want to be there and want to talk and, and provide you great access and stories. And when they're really bad, the players all want to talk, griping about how bad it is. Um, so they're really good storylines. But this year's changed my mind that a middling, mediocre 500 team um, has somehow decided found a way to stay interesting, um, and the Warriors are a unique middling team because they still have superstars, and they're kind of at the same time trying to do this dynamic of developing young guys. So there, there are a bunch of, of of good good stories to tell there.
0: Right, and with with Clay coming back next season, they should at least have a chance to be in the conversation to be a title contender. So there, there isn't that kind of doom and gloom over a lot of mediocre teams. You know, a lot of mediocre teams. It's like they should probably just pull the plug and rebuild because there's right. no point in being 500 in the NBA. Like, yep. you don't want to stockpile draft assets or be really good. Um, so, my first question is from Danielle Fafana. What is Steve Kerr's reasoning for choosing to pair Nico Mannion with Jordan Poole rather than have a backcourt, and Lee and Jordan Poole? Poole and JTA can share ball handling and playmaking responsibilities. This is a really good question. Honestly, I've asked myself the same thing multiple times, and we've asked Steve about it multiple times. And I completely get the need or desire to play um, Jordan Poole as much as you're playing Jordan Poole. Um, He showed enough, I thought, at the G League bubble to warrant it. Um, There needed to be a change at that secondary ball handler slash backup point guard spot with Brad Wanamaker he just simply wasn't getting it done so they had to try something new and I thought going to pool is was a good move um just because he's he's a guy who showed flashes and it and but but he hasn't really he hasn't really broken through yet and there was so much talk in the offseason about how he was on the verge of a breakthrough how he was the hardest guy hardest working guy in the gym and and all these things Um, and then he was up and down early in the season and then went to the G League bubble and did exactly what you wanted him to do. You know, was really a go-to option for that team was a primary playmaker had a lot of turnovers, um, but I thought looked confident and looked like he knew what he's doing. And so um, since he's come back, he's been exactly what you want him to be. He's been that kind of scoring threat off the bench and he's been a little bit of a playmaker. So I totally get that. It sounds like they're going to continue to play him big minutes as as I I think they should. The thing that I don't get as much is Nico Mannion. I think Nico has shown flashes of being a a good, stable point guard. Um, And I thought he was encouraging in the G league bubble, but he didn't look totally ready to me. And what we've seen from him so far, I still not convinced that he's ready to be a backup point guard in this league. I, I I get like getting him minutes, but this team also needs to be trying to get a playoff berth right now. He's he. It's not like developing Nico Mannion should be nearly as high on the priority list as like James Wiseman or some of your other young guys. And you know, you look at Damian Lee. I can't help for, but feel bad for. I mean, he got off to a phenomenal start to the season, and then you know he he struggled a little bit. I wouldn't say he was bad, but his his shooting numbers dipped a little bit. They got kind of back to the mean a little bit. And now he's completely out of the rotation. And it's like, of all the guys who are out of the rotation right now, I'm like, I feel like Damian Lee is the least deserving of being out of the rotation. Um, but Steve's argument is that um, Jordan Poole is a, a combo guard and that uh, Nico is, is a true point guard. And so they need like a true point guard. And then they're going to play Jordan more off the ball. I think that Jordan can be more kind of a score first backup point guard. I would like to see them try to force him into that role a little bit more. Um, what do you think of, of those changes?
1: Yeah, I, I, like you, um, I expected some changes after the All-Star break and expected them to play Jordan Poole more. I, I was surprised that Nico Mannion was one of the big changes, that he was also going to play a ton um, after the All-Star break. Um, I get it. I get the basketball thinking of it from Kerr. Teams are pressuring a lot more right now, um, so you don't want to make Jordan Poole the primary ball handler or the only ball handler on the court. But as Danielle mentioned in the in the question, um, Damian Lee's a guy who can help take some of that ball handling pressure off. And, and Juan Tocano Anderson is also a good ball handler. So um, I think they could have gotten away with it. Now, after we just bragged about how great Zoom life is <laughs> during the pandemic, here's one of the things that does hurt us is – Kerr has also said that one of the reasons he's playing Mannion and pool together is because they've developed this great relationship and he wants to see how that goes. Um, we don't have access to that locker room time. We're not around the team traveling. We we don't get to see that stuff right now. So if that's true, if if there's this budding relationship between a rookie and a second year guard, and this is something they think they can develop long-term, I guess it makes even more sense, but I don't know how, I I guess Kerr has talked to Stephen Curry and Draymond Green about this, but I'm not, not sure how happy they can be really that, that, uh, they're watching the first quarter or the first half of the second quarter and the first half of the fourth quarter with, with uh, all these young guys out there right now.
0: Yeah. I and mean, you saw last night against the Lakers in that second quarter, they just, they really struggled um, to score. And I I just, I don't think it's the answer. Um, that's it. We're over halfway through the season and Steve is still just like throw, throwing things at at a wall, trying to get them to stick. And, that's just that's not a very encouraging sign. Um, I don't I don't blame Steve. Uh, you know that second unit just they haven't found a combination that works. Um, I honestly think that when Clay comes back, it'll fix so many things um, rotationally for this team. But yeah, right now I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure they're going to find an answer. We'll have more of my conversation with Rusty Simmons right after the break. This next question kind of builds off the first one um, at organic tango with the recent second unit light lineup changes. How do you see Wanamaker Lee and Molder's future with the Warriors after this season? That's a good question. Um, uh, you know, to answer that question, you kind of have to look at the, the, the contract situations of each guy and kind of figure out, you know, how that factors into the Warriors uh, financial plans and financial situation um Wanamaker's gonna be an understood free agent uh, this summer and he's gone um <laughs> uh, I mean he's not even playing in, at all right now and it looks like he's kind of out of the rotation for good I think I think he got more than enough opportunity um to prove himself in this in these lineups and he just didn't have it you know it's unfortunate he he was pretty good with boston especially in the bubble um as a shooter and and he was really solid defensively and you know with the warriors he has not been able to shoot it he's been up and down defensively and then he hasn't been as good of a a passer as you want from a backup point guard so like when he's not doing any of those things like you can't warrant giving him more minutes and so uh yeah i mean I think there's a chance they try to unloan him at the trade deadline. Uh, I don't. They probably have to attach him with someone else, maybe with a pick. Uh, his his market value is non-existent right now. I think he was bad enough this season that if he's not traded to a team that could find a role for him, uh, he might be out of the league this summer. I mean, that's just how fickle the NBA is. Um, I mean, it's hard to imagine someone giving him a, uh, a full-time backup point guard spot after what he showed this season. Um, And then Damian Lee, uh, Damian Lee's interesting, right? Because Damian Lee, if you had talked to me just a couple of weeks ago, I would have said, I I see him as like the eighth, ninth man of a good team next season. You know, he's, I thought, I think he's shown enough to prove that he can be that he's kind of like a, a poor man's three and D guy in this league. Like he's not elite in anything, but he's good enough to help you in a bench role. Um, you know, his shooting was was stellar to start the season. I think it's it's starting to level off a little bit. But uh, I think Damian Lee has shown that he can be clutch. He's shown that he's a good locker room guy. He he's I, I like Damian Lee. I, I think he should have a role going forward. His contract is actually not guaranteed next season. Um, so there's if the Warriors decided that they didn't have a spot for him, they could move on from him without being out the dollar. It's it'll be interesting because you know depending on how the rest of their roster comes together this season and, and into this summer you know there just might not be a spot for him in that rotation and if there's not you know you you probably don't want to be paying him so um I think he's proven that he's an NBA player I think he'll find a role somewhere but he it might not be with the words, which I did not think I would say even maybe a week ago so things can change uh And Michael Mulder, um, he's also interesting to me. I kind of feel for Michael Mulder because I think he did everything he needed to do this season. Like he's played well, like decently well. Like he's played as well as you could expect, shooting around forty percent from three. um, You know, been playing hard on defense, like being being that like three and D guy in a shooting specialist role that they need, Um, but. I think that – and I think he deservedly beat out Jordan Poole for that rotation spot early in the season. But, you know, now they're trying to kind of focus a little bit more on the youth movement and bring along Jordan, and that takes away any minutes Michael Mulder was going to get. And so it's tough. I mean, he's a guy that I think the Warriors would like to keep around, but if you can't even play him this season and they're trying to get better next season, like can you justify paying him when his contract is also going to be – non-guaranteed next season. It'll be interesting. Um, but you know, when you're not in the rotation, you can't necessarily expect to definitely come back next season. So his future's in the air as well. What do you think about those three guys?
1: Yeah, I mean, of the three, I think Damian Lee has the best chance to be back with the Warriors next year. Um, I think as you mentioned, he's proven that that he's an NBA shooter, a defender and he's way more versatile than I thought. I mean, he's played the overwhelming majority of his minutes at power forward this year. So um, I I didn't look at him early in his career and think, Oh, this is a guy who can play the four in the NBA, but um, I think he can find, continue to find a spot uh, with the Warriors or, or with somebody else. Um, I I think he's an NBA player. And, And at some point we know what a good duty is and that he has family ties to the Currys. And, but at some point too, you wonder if, Damian Lee wants more of an opportunity somewhere, you know, it's not, it's, it's partly up to him too, what he wants to do. So um, of the three, he's the one that I think has the best chance of coming back. And this is a good question that brings us back to the last one that this is a reason to watch the Mannion pool relationship and playing time for the rest of the season or however long Kerr sticks with that group, because it's going to have a trickle down effect on all of these other players. All three of those guys will be impacted by how well Manning and Pool do the rest of the season.
0: Definitely. We got I got so many questions in this mailbag about Kelly Oubre and trade possibilities. Uh you know, we're kind of getting to that time. Uh, we're a little over a week out now from the trade deadline, so things are starting to heat up and sounds like Bob is Bob's saying that he's going to be aggressive. He says that every year though, and then he usually doesn't do anything. So, it'll be Interesting to see. I, I think if they do make a move, uber is Ubre would be a strong candidate to uh, be involved. One question I got is from at Cisco Cuerva. Do we still go for Oladipo with Pool looking sharper? Am I overvaluing Pool after two decent games? Well, I don't think that the decision with Oladipo is going to come down to how Pool is playing. To be honest with you, um, I think it, there's. There's a lot of other factors there. Um, I actually wrote uh, an analysis piece last week when all the the speculation was going nuts about Oladipo. And I basically basically used it as an opportunity to explain the weird situation the Warriors are in entering the trade deadline. You know, Oladipo is going to be an unrestricted free agent this summer. Um, He's – not playing great uh you know he's averaging 20 a game but on a bad team and he's not shooting efficiently and he he doesn't look like the same player he was pre-knee injury in Indiana so I'm not and you wonder what you'd have to give up to get a guy like that uh you know I I'm sure the asking price isn't super high um but it's probably Oubre and like come on Looney or like Oubre and like a decent rotation guy that's probably what the asking price is and um you know if you're if you're not guaranteed to get upre if you're not guaranteed to uh resign oladipo which i'm not sure you would be guaranteed to do then i'm not sure it's worth even considering um if you could think you could resign him then you have to just i think juggle do you, how much likely are you to resign him over Ubre? Because I'd actually rather have Ubre right now than Oladipo. I think he's a better fit for the Warriors. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think you're you're exactly on it. Um, when it comes down to those two guys, it, it's going to be about assurances of is Ubre even considering coming back to the Warriors with Oladipo, who's frustrated right now in Houston, would he consider? re him with the Warriors after a trade, they're going to have to have assurances on either end of that before they make that kind of move. And the other thing with Oladipo, which I think you hit on with the knee, is I would have to take a real serious look at those medicals before I traded for him. I'm not sure if the player we see right now um, is moving the way he is because he's frustrated about being in Houston or if he's still recovering or what, um, but he's not the player that two years ago you would have said oh absolutely I'm doing that deal bring him in right away and and I'm not sure that's the player you're getting right now so um, Celebrini and his group I think would have to take some real a real hard look at those medicals before you made that deal but everything we're discussing here tells you exactly the situation the Warriors are in they're in this weird seesaw thing where they're trying to figure out are we working for right now or are we working on development and they have to make that decision and and Coach Kerr probably said it the most honest that anybody could the other day when asked about the trade deadline. He said, "I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what we're going to do."
0: Yeah, I mean, Coach Kerr. People have to understand is so he's so locked in on the day to day. You know, he's not necessarily even thinking about the trade deadline right now. That's Bob Myers' job. Um, <clears throat> the next question is from at R W Clark. Two, uh, what kind of contract will Kelly Oubre be offered? And in parentheses, he suggests three three years, sixty million dollars question mark Has Lacob indicated whether he is willing to be the significant he is willing to go into the significant luxury tax to keep him? This is uh this is an important question, right? Um, and everything I've heard talking to people is that Ubre is going to command in that yeah somewhere around that three years, sixty million dollar range of, around. $2 million or $20 million a year. He's a guy who is just now starting to enter his prime. He just turned 25 years old. Um, he, he feels like he's, things are starting to click. You know, he had that breakthrough season last season with Phoenix. And then after a rough start this season, he's kind of found his footing and showing everything he needs to show. He's been probably the best defensively he's ever been. He's really thrived as, uh, you know, a transition specialist and a guy who, um, is uh, more efficient from beyond the arc than he has been, and so um, yeah, I think twenty million a year is is a, a fair guess. Um, but I don't think that whether or not the Warriors keep Kelly Oubre is going to come down to money. Um, I think Laker has proven that he will do whatever he needs to do to have the best roster possible. And even during these crazy times, and even though they're losing hundreds of millions of dollars because of the pandemic, um, I don't think that's ultimately going to change their approach to roster building. And um, I think that if all, if everything stayed the same right now and they could bring back Ubre at 20 million a year, they would. Um, I think that he'd be perfect as that like six, six man off the bench. Um, Behind Clay, and also one thing that was interesting, and you wrote about this, Rusty, was Rust uh, was Clay spoke to media for the first time since the injury the other day, and said that he doesn't expect to come back right at the start of the season. That could be weeks, maybe it could be even a month or two. Um, I mean, we're it could be a significant chunk into the season that they're without Clay, um, and if that's the case, that. That six-man role, you know, that role that Kelly Uber would potentially occupy is even more important because he would need to be their starting shooting guard to start the season and then move into, like, a, a backup role once play is 100% healthy. Um, but it could be enough games where that really matters in terms of playoff positioning and and so forth. And so I think with that coming to light, it makes me think even more that they would want to bring Uber back. The question to me is, does Uber want to come back? And I haven't, I haven't, I'm not clear on that. I mean, he has said that he'd like to stay long-term, but everyone always says that. And I have a feeling that he would like to be uh, a go-to option somewhere. Um, And I think he's going to have, going to have that opportunity. So um, do you turn down more, more of a featured role, um, on maybe more of a middling team to try to be like a six man on a, potential title contending team i personally think he needs to look at it with the long view and and say to himself okay i signed like a three-year deal to come back to the to the warriors i I try to win a title or maybe two and then uh after that three-year deal you know Clay and seth and draymond are going to be declining probably or starting to decline and and maybe i can and move more into like a go-to option on a, a long time winning team you know that to me is a great situation that he needs to think about and so i think there's more of a chance of ubrey coming back than i thought just a few weeks ago um but it's ultimately i think it's going to come down to what ubrey wants
1: yeah i think that's exactly right I, the warriors i'm sure want him back and and if they can get him for 20 million a year um i think mr lakeup has proven that that he'll spend the money um but it, it all comes down to what ubrey wants um He's got a production company, fashion company. Um, I think a team will pitch to him this offseason that they can market him as the face of a franchise, as the go-to option. And I think that's going to be super appealing for a guy like Oubre. Um, If somebody gets a hold of him and says, hey, think about this in three years, that's really when you're going to make your money. Um, That's when the Warriors will be transitioning. Um, But I I don't know. I I get the sense from him that – Somebody's going to pitch him as being the go-to guy and, and the face of the franchise, and, and that's that's a hard thing to turn down.
0: Our last question is from at Arnav Arnav Salu. Uh, do you think that we should tank this year? Obviously, we have the chance to play better, as shown yesterday. But do you? And this was this was referring to the Utah game. But do you think we could handle all these teams in a seven-game series, or should we tank for a higher pick to go along with T Wolves' pick? I'm going to let you, you answer that one first. I'm curious for your thoughts.
1: Yeah, so we talked about this early, about how it kind of doesn't make any sense to be a 500 team in the NBA. Um, but the Warriors are in a really unique situation. I don't think you can tell Stephen Curry and Draymond Green that you're going to tank. Um, Stephen Curry has seen that before, <laughs> and, and, and it, it didn't go well. So um, I think they can continue to kind of walk this tightrope of trying to win for the veterans, um, and then developing at the same time, they're going to be about the same team, regardless of who they play with that second unit. Um, so I think they can walk that tightrope. I don't think it makes a ton of sense to, to tank here. Um, and, I, and I don't think you can convince Stephen Curry or Draymond Green that, that that's going to happen anyway. So um, it might be a little bit of a moot point on that end.
0: Yeah, there's there's no way uh, that they're going to tank. I mean, Steve was actually asked that the other day. And when when he was asked that, I was like, it's kind of a silly question. Uh, <laughs> you've kind of laughed it off. There's, there's no way. I mean, for a lot of reasons, but let's just start with the financial reason. I mean, you, they have Chase Center, which they haven't really gotten to uh, get the most out of in any sense of the word uh, so far. And they're losing hundreds of millions of dollars because of the pandemic. Um, the last thing they want is to be irrelevant any longer than they have to be. They want to be at least in the national conversation. They want to be selling out games when when they're able to open up Chase Center. Um, Yeah, so there's that. And then there's the fact that you want to build a championship culture. And even just making the playoffs, even if it's just a first-round exit, uh, can go a long way, especially with those young guys who don't have playoff experience, to building that ethos and just showing everyone, like, we're going to do whatever we can to be the best we, we can be. Um, so yeah, there, there's no way uh, Draymond wouldn't, wouldn't put up with that. Steph wouldn't put up with that. Steve wouldn't put up with that. And Joe Laca hundred percent would not put up with that. Um, you know, and look, I, you know, they're, they're the pick that they sent to Oklahoma city and that uh, Uber trade top 20 protected. So even if they make the playoffs, I think there's a good chance they'll keep that pick. Um, and then you pair that top twenty pick with, um, with a potential top five pick, you know, four or five pick from uh, from Minnesota, and you know you got some really good pieces. You almost you almost have the pieces that you would you would get out of tanking without even tanking. So right. I don't I don't see any need to to even consider that. Rusty, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. Uh, it was really fun to jump into all these topics. There's so much to talk about right now. And, you know, you've been uh, doing great work, and I know you got some good things coming down the pipeline. Um, where can our uh, readers find your your stuff and, and follow you on Twitter?
1: Yeah, well, first, let me say that uh, we need to have some of your readers come into our budget meetings with all these great questions and story ideas. So, That's good. Um, And and hopefully everybody is subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle. I'm old school, still like the hard copy uh, arriving on my doorstep. But if not, sfchronicle.com and then all kinds of social media stuff. Uh, There's platforms all over the place. Or just follow Connor. He retweets everything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Our thanks to Rusty Simmons for joining me on the podcast. He has such a wealth of knowledge about the Warriors, and I love picking his brain. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchroniclecom pod.